Cells. Cells. Have you ever been in an institution? Cells. Cells. Do they keep you in a cell? Cells. Cells. When you're not performing your duties, do they keep you in a little box? Cells. Cells. Interlinked. Interlinked. What's it like to hold the hand of someone you love? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do they teach you how to feel finger to finger? Interlinked. You're listening to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. Welcome to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by a special co-host today, our friend James, coming back on the show. And he is back on the show for our part two of Blade Runner 2049 and Transcendence. Patrick could not be here today. He's really crazy busy. Also, his family has not been well, but they're on the up and up. So he's just been taking care of that. He sends his well wishes and his greetings to you, James. Thank you for joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Carl. I'm very excited. I've been upgraded to co-host as well, so that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you have. First, I want to make a couple of announcements. Uh, those of you who are listening, it's been a while since we've, we've released an episode. We're moving to one episode a month for a while until Blade Runner 2099 kind of ramps up, which if the strikes end soon, which looks like they might be, um, that's probably going to start ramping up soon. We might get that by next year sometime. We're not sure. Um, so we just, we want to concentrate on some better content and not just releasing two episodes a month just to do it, just a heads up. And are also uh, to those of you who are on our Patreon, it is changing. Uh, it's going to be changing to mostly Alien and Blade Runner content. We will be doing frame rates and movie reviews here and there, but we really want to incentivize Patreon for people to sign up to listen to more of this of what we know best, which is Blade Runner and Alien. So with that said, thanks again, James, for joining us. And uh to jump right into this, so talking about the transcendence of Blade Runner 2049 for myself, it's a film that's resonating deeper for me as a person. For whatever reason, it's just it's touched me in terms of the loneliness that men deal with, and that is embodied mm -hmm. in K. We've touched on that before here and there. Mm -hmm. What I was interested in is certainly your perspective and why, if it does, if Blade Runner 2049 sits with you a little bit differently or more in a more profound way. And this isn't a Blade Runner 2049 is better than 2019. This is not that kind of a debate. This is what is resonating with us in a deeper sense. Is it the second film or the first film? And with that said, you're obviously a different generation than I am. You're probably generation. I don't know if you're millennial. Are you generation Y? Gen Y? Uh, I'm born in 99, so I might be Z. Oh, I'm God. not sure. Yeah, you're Gen Z. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just slipped in in the 90s, though. So you know. Yeah, you did. You <laughs> made it. You just barely made it. I'm going to so... surprise you, though, Jamie. I'm going to surprise you, though, um, because I actually... I This is how I intended to start this episode, by saying that my top three films of all time, number one is Seven, and then it's Blade Runner, and then it's Blade Runner 2049. Wow. So okay. actually, Blade Runner is just ahead by a tiny margin okay because when you make a, a top three I, I mean you know i'm sure you hate ranking things as well because you know it's 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 apples and oranges half the time right but if i did if, if you go in you know to the desert island and you can only take one with you it would be blade runner for me now obviously i love 2049 as well and yeah it may be surprising because i'm a younger fan although if you ask my brother who's five years younger than me he prefers 2049 but then again, he doesn't love Blade Runner as much as me. Um, but I can I can back all that up. But for me, yeah, um, twenty forty nine, like we spoke about the first time I was on the show, was um, 
definitely definitely more relatable for me because of Officer K, um, Ryan Gosling's character. He, he for me, is um, one of the most relatable uh, characters I've seen in any film full stop. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a better film overall, right? I mean, it's good to be able to have a connection and a resonance, like you said, but it's not something where... Uh, I think there's just slight things about 2019, if you want to call it that, that just slightly edge 2049 as an overall package. First of all, for me, being... I mean, I, I, you know, if you if you're actually going down to the wire on little things, then I could break it down there. But I'll hand it back to you, sir. Yeah, no, that, that really interests me because yeah. honestly, I thought he, James is going to come on and he's going to be like, "No, twenty forty nine is it for me." Oh, really? Um, but neck and neck, <laughs> yeah. Just based off some things that you had said in 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 prior episode or episodes, I think you might have been on one or two before. Um, and so I was thinking, yeah, he's going to come on here and say. 2049 resonates a little bit more number one yes because you're younger um it's not to say that i mean obviously i'm older than you and 2049 yeah. resonates with me more so i'm not really and i i don't mean to like pigeonhole like okay gen y thinks this way mm. but i a lot of it was based off of again prior things that you had said um but i want to like i, I do want to hear and again this is more about resonance and it's not like okay i and not that you would say this but this is for our listening audience, it's not like yes. people are going to come on saying 2049 is better because of this or 2019 is better because of this. It's not a better than conversation. It's a, this no. sits in my heart because of. So with that said, why, what is the resonance of 2019? And um, if we want to kind of, we can move in and talk about a little bit of a compare and contrast, like what is it about 2019 that sits with you? That sits a little bit higher than 2049. Yeah, I think Blade Runner for me, I just find, as in the original. Okay, so I'm going to just break it down in very like blunt points here and then kind of try and expand on them. I think that might be the best way to approach it. You know what? The, the one, but before I do that, the main reason I'm kind of gutted that Patrick is not on stage and I know he'll be listening is because I really wanted him to do his Deckard impression. He hasn't done it for ages, his impression of Deckard. So. That you want to be a stranger, that one? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, Patrick, if you're listening, next episode, you have to do it. Just please. (laughs) But other than that, yeah. So um, Blade Runner 2019 now, or 2020, actually, because I believe it actually takes place most in 2020, right? I was watching some interviews from from Daryl Hannah and I think a couple others, or Sean Young, and they referred to it as like it happening in 2020. And I think with the dates, maybe I'm just going into it too well, much because it's like november maybe they january 2020 isn't it could be well it's i think it begins in november 2019 yeah so and it's it two months right could it have gone but that's speculation we're not really sure um in fact when rudger howard died and dan was on the show dan was like well because everyone was like oh rudger howard died in the same year that blade runner is set and dan was like well it could have gone into 2020 but there's no real record of that it's a sub it's supposition we're not really sure but who knows who knows yeah it's like decorate right <laughs> yeah but yeah no okay so i think one thing um that i like the most i like i think one thing that really okay definitely puts blade runner ahead of every film including 2049 and i mean every film full stop is its soundtrack okay uh vangelis as i call him maybe Vangelis, you know don't kill me but <laughs> Vangelis, I say Vangelis me, that too. soundtrack. Yeah, it is Vangelis, isn't it? Um, he 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 created the soundtrack, which is just. And I've spent a year, six months trying to think 
of a variable comparison. I think uh, the only thing I can call it is like if you have Vangelis' soundtrack of Blade Runner is like champagne. And then every other soundtrack for every other film, whether it be Interstellar or Friday 2 or whatever, I'm sorry, next Friday, it doesn't matter. The soundtracks are all a beer or a very good wine or a very good, you know, cocktail, but you'll never have that same taste as champagne that you have with Vangelis' soundtrack of Blade Runner. Including 2049, they do a great job of making it a soundtrack that's inspired by Blade Runners and then goes on to have its own kind of beats. Um, no pun intended, but it is very much the Blade Runner soundtrack is just something extremely special that will never happen again. It's just a unique soundtrack that just can't be duplicated or or even come close to anything. Even one track from that, like Blade Runner Blues, is still, for me, better than anything that's ever been composed in a film. So that's where I would start in terms of Blade Runner being slightly better. I also think, well, obviously, Blade, 2049 can't exist without Blade Runner, right? 2049, at the end of the day, is a sequel. Therefore, it can't exist without Blade Runner having already existed. So it's kind of standing on the shoulders, if you know what I mean. Okay, it can something can still be better as a sequel, for example, perhaps... Terminator, but um, you know, if you, as some may say, but like if you go in terms of the best sequels of all the time, twenty forty nine is always uh, sorry, twenty forty nine is always there, but the sequel can't exist without the original, and that might be a very like not a very important point for some people, but I think it is important because they didn't have to sit there and make all these original ideas. They didn't have to go through the the hell on um set on production that Ridley Scott did. They had a very nice environment and obviously thrived because of that, but that couldn't have happened without what originally happened in Blade Runner. You understand? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And uh, to an earlier point that you're making in terms of the score, I want to be very mm. specific. I absolutely agree with you. I think the score in 2019 is, has former resonance for me, and it's an emotional experience. It is champagne. It is the best wine. It is the best aged wine. There's no comparison. I do really love the score for 2049. At the same time, there's just no comparison. So when we're talking about score, 2019 score trumps 2049's every day. At the same time, to an er another earlier point that you made, I don't like the comparison game. I like to judge things on its own merits. At the same time, though, these films work in tandem with each other. You can't, like you said, you can't have 2049 without 2019. And I see right. them as one big story. I, I, it's, I see them less as two separate films. I see them as one connected story. Um, but there's also the contention from some that the characters in 2049 are uh better realized what do you think about that yeah because that's one argument i did make for 2049 i actually think 2049 has a better ending than blade runner um i don't know why i love blade runner obviously like i've just gone into all these lengths to say i actually prefer 2049 but i actually prefer the ending to 2049 better and perhaps that's because it does kind of just put a bow on both films right it just wraps it up nicely puts a bow on it and then it's kind of and even though there's not really a clinical ending to 2049 either there's actually potentials for far more which as you said may perhaps we'll see with 2099 also we've got the video game on its way as well which is like extremely exciting i i, I know i'm not sure you've done uh, an episode dedicated to that but 2033 labyrinth that's yeah. gonna be i'm hyped for that yeah, but it looks but, awesome and, and, 
Yeah, but that'll probably be in knowing Blade Runner. Who knows when that'll be? But anyway, yeah, um, I mean, we're hoping. Uh, we're actually talking to some people who have worked on the game to come on the show. Mm-hmm. It's oh, I don't really? know. I don't think that they've come out with a release date, but I think it's probably going to be sometime no. late quarter this year. But we'll see. No, what surely not that soon. Yeah, I would think. I don't know. I have no so, idea. I'm an so expert on probably nothing. Probably before 2099. That's cool. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because 2099, I think they've just started shooting some exterior stuff. They're shooting uh-huh. stuff they can shoot without SAG after actors who are on strike, uh, much yeah. like the Alien series that is shooting right now as well. So I think once the writer strike is over, if we could, they could maybe be done with shooting by the end of the year and we could get the show by next year sometime. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know if, if, 2033 is connected to 2099 maybe it is if it is they'll probably delay it who knows we need something though <laughs> how great is it with being swamped with all this content now i can't imagine what it must feel like for you or patrick that you've been blade runner fans your whole lives with only one film existing and now all of a sudden you have a sequel you have a game you have a comics. tv series you got yeah. comics being absolutely like um spoilt with content is so good isn't it but you it know really is yeah. not quantity so let's make sure it's good first and foremost right indeed because we also had um, black lotus which we weren't fans of unfortunately right right i to be fair i never even watched that i just kind of took your guys's warning as like mm, okay i've never even heard you i've just i've never heard you listen i've never listened to the dedicated episode that you have reviewing oh, really? it because mm. no because i've not watched it so i'm thinking yeah. i don't really want to watch something that tarnishes my view of blade runner it might be good but I'd rather just. I'm happy with the two films I've got. That's good enough for me. Yeah. It'll be the same if twenty if twenty ninety nine falls down. Okay, I'll miss out on it. It's fine. I don't need anything to, you know, it, just because it's Blade. Just because it says Blade Runner doesn't mean I have to like it, right? So True. I'd rather just. I'd rather just you know leave it. If yeah. It's not, and you know, going to be ten out of ten products. <laughs> yeah, and so far, really, we've had two films that have broken the mold they've defined and then redefined the genre and then we had a series that just was kind of middling and pedestrian and poorly written um and it could have been really great but again to your point i'm hoping that the 2033 the game which that trailer Mm. looks amazing i don't know if that's Mm. gameplay footage i hope something of that is incorporated and even though it looks different it feels like blade runner it has that atmosphere mm, it has everything that mm. you need so i'm pretty excited i'm not much of a gamer i will play that game because it's probably not it's mm. not just this shoot 'em up game it's more than that you're you're discovering things you're you're on a case that interests me so i will definitely be playing that game so we're excited about that um, it has to be especially as it's open i believe it should be open world as well right i'm mm. not much of a gamer myself either but yeah i I wanted to play. I've always wanted a Blade Runner game. There's Cyberpunk 2077, obviously, which I haven't played. It's been problematic itself in true Blade Runner nature, to be fair. Mm. Uh, but it's not really Blade Runner. It's 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 more. I don't know. And then you've also got um, what's the other one? There's a game that's coming out now called uh, it's like I can't remember exactly what it's called. Um, it, but it's like Taxi Driver in space. I really can't remember what it's called, but it's inspired by. It is literally inspired by Blade Runner. The mm. owner of the, the creator of the game came on and said that. Anyway, we're not talking about the game too much. I am getting excited <laughs> That's about That's all right. Um, back to 2049 is the fact that, yes, I think the ending is actually better because it's strange because it's a char- it ends with a character dying that wasn't even in the first film. But I care about him so much. That's like, has a huge impact on me. But I do care about K more than I do about actually any of the characters. K is my favorite character, obviously. 
you've got Deckard and um, Rachel, who are in both films, and they're obviously extremely important. But actually, Kay for me is the most important one. Um, personally, I love I love him the most. I think he's probably the one we spend the most time with. I wouldn't be surprised if he has more minutes on screen than Deckard actually has, just because Twenty Forty Nine is a longer oh, film. Oh yes, for um, sure. So you know, he's actually the guy we spend the most time with, probably. So by that virtue, even he is kind of it is sad that he does die, and then obviously, but he dies to reunite Harrison Ford with his daughter. So that's like very. I don't know. I just feel happier with the ending of Twenty Forty Nine, whereas. Blade Runner's an ending which just I'll be honest with you even though again I've just like really praised the soundtrack the weakest part of the soundtrack for me is actually the full song of um the end titles one more kiss dear <laughs> I'm joking. oh really um, oh no no I'm joking I'm joking the full thing <laughs> is like I don't need four minutes of it I think you spoke about it once about the soundtrack I don't need the whole thing I just need the 30 seconds that you overhear when he's getting the vodka yeah but at yes. the at the end yeah, I don't actually like Blade Runner view, uh, um, end titles. Is that what it's called? Really? That I love it. I love it. No, but I've heard this before. I've heard this before from other people. You close the podcast with it as well. And it's quite, I'll tell you why as well, because it's quite jarring. It, it doesn't fit with it because it is a typical 80s action soundtrack. And I do like it. But after I've watched Blade Runner, I'm like, so like, it's just absorbed me into this world. And it feels like that song kind of just throws me back out a bit. But then again, it's better than the, the theatrical ending that was there. So, you know, um, but well, yeah, I've, yeah, I've, I've yeah. always found the ending just, just the ending seems just a bit jarring. I'll, I'll, I'll be watching it and I'll sort of just, but I love watching the credits as well. So it's kind mm. of hard. Mm. No, I'll probably turn it off more time or, or I'll just try and, it throws me off with my mood. I don't know why. <laughs> well, what's interesting about the the end titles, what I what I envision when it happens, when I, you hear it and the door shuts and then it starts, mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. that music for me is the soundtrack to, to Deckard and Rachel's next adventure. They're going off into this next adventure and that's that soundtrack for me. I don't know what I don't know what that they're doing, even though 2049 kind of tells you what a little bit what happened. That's their yeah kind of their send off. But I agree with you that 2049's ending feels complete to me. It feels like a complete mm -hmm. ending, which is going to be interesting about 2099, this the 10 part series on Amazon. It is a follow-up. It is a sequel to 2049. And I still believe that Rachel is the heart of this story. And I think if they're going to really continue this story and they feel like there's it's un it's there's still things left unsaid they need to incorporate her because she is the one responsible for staline she was the unicorn she was the replicant that got pregnant she was the impossible and you could obviously we've talked about this in many episodes before you can feel rachel's presence all over 2049 not just because of what of them looking for her but you feel deckard's longing for rachel and then Kay is looking for, first of all, Rachel, but then he's looking for the child. Rachel is, she is the the lifeblood of, of Blade Runner, in my opinion, at least these stories. So if they're going to continue twenty the story that started in 2019, I feel like they're going to have to incorporate her again. Now, I don't know if they're going to do that. I trust the showrunner. Um, I think her name is... Louisa, something Louisa. I can't remember her last name. I can't remember her full name. I don't want to botch it. Um, but I'm hoping that they do it. But 
to get back to 2049, it just really felt like a complete ending. Like you see him approach, as everyone knows, he approaches the glass, he puts his finger fingers on the glass, and she walks up to him, and that's all she wrote. And then it goes off uh, into, you know, the titles or whatever. It's just this beautiful, perfect ending. But in 2019, it doesn't feel like an ending. It just feels like we're stopping here. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. 2049, what I like about 2049's ending, it just allows you to breathe because you just, I think because, I don't know, the the ending for Blade Runner is so important because it, it couldn't end, because the equivalent thing to do would be to end um, Blade Runner with Roy Batty's death, right? And then that would be the how you make it. But the scene after that is so important because it shows Deckard's transformation. It, it shows him going from um the assault scene should we call it um where he 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 tells her what to do what to say he goes from that from being a monster you know from like the the, the it's very striking and yeah you know it's it's a strange thing that like you know you kind of certainly on this but i think blade runner fans in general like to tiptoe around that scene because they f- they feel it's very controversial and all that it's a bad thing and that's but that is the point of the scene it's supposed to make Deckard look like look like a monster look like scum right look, look like a, a rapist like an attacker he's supposed to because of that is demonstrating the way he views replicants he sees them as you know like a washing, washing machine, machine right yeah that's what people say um including my brother which i was quite shocked to find out i was pressuring him to watch blade runner and he and then he, prefer, he doesn't actually like Blade Runner. He likes 2049 more. He, he says it's... But he hasn't watched... He's only watched them like two or three times each, so that's not enough, is it, obviously? But anyway, he just doesn't... Anyway, and, and he's like in the, in the washing machine camp, which I can't understand. But anyway, um, the important thing about the ending of Blade Runner is obviously that it's showing Deckard's transformation from being like that to do you love me? Do you trust me? Getting affirmations like he should do that's how you treat a human being you you can ask for consent (laughs) you know what i mean you actually you know make sure they're comfortable with what's happening with what you're about to do and that is what's important it's showing deckard's growth from being um how some of us can be in certain situations right if you allow yourself to get prejudiced because the media is pointing you in some sort of direction or something like that you can it's sometimes easy to fall into a certain trap to going, okay, no, I'm learning now. I'm, a, I'm, I'm trying to be a better person. I'm trying to, you know, that's the journey that Deckard goes through. So that's why the ending for Blade Runner is so important. But then with 2049, they're able to end it on a note where Oskay unfortunately dies and then, but he's completed a mission. So that's a complete, you know, um, area there like Roy Batty's. But then you've also got this moment where Deckard goes and meets his daughter. I think, um, I've, I've said it quite a lot there, so I bet that you continue, but I do have, yeah, points to continue with that. No, I, I like that. Uh, please continue because I have some thoughts yeah. about, I think that there are some interesting things happening when he meets his daughter that I, I'll get to after you say what you need okay, to say. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I did want to, because with 2049, you know, a problem that I have, and I understand a few Blade Runner fans have from, from listening to your show, um, is that. Deckard, for me, it, I really personally struggle with seeing and with seeing Harrison Ford in 2049 as Deckard. 
because he's so much older. He's aged so much. It's actually, it's still, after watching 2049 so many times, it's difficult for me to actually watch that and go, okay, that's Deckard. That's a really old Deckard. <laughs> so I'm like, it's. I know it's the same character. I know it's Rick Deckard is the same guy, but I just struggle making that connection. Deckard, for me, when you say Deckard, I think of the guy reading the newspaper, right? I think of the guy retiring, or not retiring, but shooting in the back. Um, Pris and uh, I forget her name. Joanne Caster, yeah, that's Zora. right, Zora. Yeah. You know, that's the guy I think of. I don't think of Harrison Ford in that. That's kind of difficult for me. And obviously 2049 is not, it doesn't do any fan service at all, right? I don't think, fan service is something we, I think we ref generally refer to as something being a bit cheap just to get fans inside. Like, for example, but it can work, for example, in The Flash, right? That is head to toe in uh, fan service, but it's in a good way. But we all see it for what it is. 2049 doesn't take those cheap options. Um, so that's important. But the closest it does get to fan service is by having Harrison Ford in it, right? That was something to draw fans in. But what they did with that is they went, okay, we're not going to make any bones about that. He is on the front cover. He's billed with Ryan Gosling. So you all know this. So it's not really a surprise or anything like that. This is not fan service because, you know, we're making it very obvious that Deckard's part of this story. Um, but it's just hard for me to make a connection that it is actually the same human being. And in an ideal world, I think 2049 would have been able to release without us knowing Harrison Ford was in it. And then it would be like some big surprise for the first time viewer like rachel was right rachel we didn't know she'd be in there but she was if we had had that same experience with harrison ford i think that would have changed things a lot if we didn't know he would be in it could you imagine that could you imagine ryan gosling going into that um casino and you didn't know that harrison ford would be in this film at all they just if they'd have kept it a secret because that would have also tied in with the theme of 2049 as well but anyway um we've got what we've got so yeah that's just something that I would just say with 2049, I just struggle to kind of view Deckard there and just make that connection just because he is so dramatically changed physically, you know? This topic of Deckard in 2049 might be an interesting episode by itself. But to that point, I've you, again, you're not the first person I've heard have a diff have difficulty accepting Deckard for De as Deckard in 2049. But I always pivot to that this Deckard is unrecognizable because he's been through some horrific things. So the first deck when we first meet Deckard in 2019, he's disaffected. He's on his job. He's kind of well, he's not really on the job. He's done with his job, but he's retired he's just doing his thing in the city he's still you know he's again he's kind of morally bankrupt in some way but he is the decker that they presented us with and then he finds his way back to himself via rachel and some things that have happened in his experience with batty on the rooftop really transform him then mm -hmm. he goes through losing rachel again not just losing rachel in childbirth he goes through losing his child and then he ends up alone. Um, and not just the kind of alone where you're in a big city and you're alone, because you can feel alone and live in a big city. I mean, 
that happens all the time where you can be surrounded by people yeah. and feel alone. This Deckard is absolutely alone. He's lost everything. I believe that he is unrecognizable. He is not. We don't see any shade of any character that he used to be because he's not what he used to be. Not only did he lose everything, he had to like help hide his child. He didn't. I don't. Mm. I don't even know. Yeah, maybe he knew it was a daughter. I guess he probably did know it was a girl, but he took off not long after his daughter was born because he knew that they'd be hunting him and hunting them. So I, so that's my concession, I guess, for why Deckard is unrecognizable. Now there are some people who might say, okay, maybe that's true, but they could have put him in better costume. They could have made him look a little bit more because he's all not t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Just a t-shirt and um, some like Carhartt pants or whatever. It looks just <laughs> sort of, uh, but at the same time, I mean, there are other people in the movie. I mean, if you look at him in 2019, he's wearing a suit and tie, you know? He's not wearing anything specifically. Even that, even that is very hard to call that a suit and tie. Because when you say suit and tie, I think of James Bond. And he's, oh, yeah. he's wearing the, the ugliest shirt and tie I've ever seen in my life. So, <laughs> I don't know. But yeah. yeah you're, you're right. Does it pull you out though? That's the question. Is it does No, 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 never. Okay. I, it really fits. It's beautiful. I everything in Blade Runner is beautiful. Everything about it, even the imperfections. And let's be honest, there are a lot of inf- imperfections with Blade Runner, the original, um because of obviously what happened on set, um or because of all the different cuts. There is just you can't call it a perfect film, but I think that's what makes it so beautiful. Despite all the trouble it went through, it created just this absolutely stunning collection of talent that just made for the best and all the circumstances even things like the fact that you know Ridley Scott sadly his uh, brother died right his older brother died and mm. that affected his mood going into actually creating Blade I think even things like that are so important for the tone and the mood of the film 2049 was created in a much happier environment obviously um, which is obviously a good thing but I think it's just the, the pain that Blade Runner went through just created out of, out of that came this beauty and obviously 2049 i think what the thing with 2049 is and it's such a strange thing to say and again i'm talking about two of my three favorite films of all time so i'm not saying one of these is great and one of them is right oh, yeah. you know, i could never say that um is the fact that 2049 is always striving perf- for perfection with everything it does denny villeneuve if that's how you say it, is a perfectionist right He's going for. I, I feel like Ridley Scott isn't. He's quite. You when you see him in interviews and things, he's quite blasé about things that he should care about more. Mm. And then he's like really focused on details, which so important. I don't know. That's kind of so. He's I, as Ridley Scott has created some incredible films, some of the best films of all time, some not so good as well. But that's why I think he's not a perfectionist like Denny Villeneuve is, right? So that's why with Twenty Forty Nine. It's striving for perfection wherever you look. But that means that when it doesn't quite reach that standard of perfection that it sets itself, it's more obvious. You, you see where I'm coming from? So the things that aren't perfect about it stand out. For example, like things like uh, the soundtrack or maybe like, uh, and these are very small things, but like the poster, you know, or like stuff like that. The, it's just doesn't stay with me like the stuff from Blade Runner does. Um, and when I say the soundtrack, I mean, for example, having the list and leaving Elvis Presley on it and stuff like that. And that's just very jarring. That's just something that no one needed. No one asked for, but here we are. Um, 
So it's trying to reach these these levels of perfection, which obviously it, it does ninety nine percent of the time. But when it doesn't, it just feels a bit more obvious. Um, and I think with Blade Runner as well, it just feels more twenty forty nine. It's it's hard to say which one because obviously we're not in the year twenty forty nine right now. We're in twenty twenty three. So we've seen twenty nineteen. Blade Runner is a little bit off the mark. And you know a film I saw very recently, I think last week, which I know you've mentioned before, I rewatched it, but I had I had seen it previously 10 years ago, and was Soylent Green. You know Soylent Green, right? Yes, that's with uh, Charlton Heston. Charlton yes. Heston. Uh, Great film. I watched, I watched that the other day. I could not believe what, what an incredible film. And that came out, um, I think, nine years before Blade Runner, even. So, and I couldn't believe how Blade Runner that film felt. It felt so Blade Runner. Not all of it, but I think the outdoor sets where you see them in the city, obviously it's very aged film. Uh, sorry, Blade Runner has aged significantly better than Soylent Green visually, like with the technology. I mean, Blade Runner, I was just watching it now. It's a film that I, c- I don't want to say it could be released today and you wouldn't tell, but um, it does. it's certainly not dated. It certainly doesn't feel aged in any way shape or form like Soylent Green does for example but Soylent Green obviously is telling a story that is takes place in 2022 that feels extremely current and relevant it's scary watching that film for anyone that likes Blade Runner and dystopian futures for some reason we're all like obviously you must be if you listen to this podcast and you're some kind of you know you love <laughs> depression I don't know <laughs> but um watch Soylent Green because that is scary how on the nose it is with some of the predictions it makes um but yeah i'm going well off track now 2049 is definitely i things like the blackout really interest me because obviously these sci-fi films they do predict certain things um soiling green has plenty of examples which again i'll leave people to research for themselves but 2049 talks about things like a blackout and i'm trying to see what in 2049 will carry through to the future because there's always something even in bad sci-fi films, they usually get something right, right? So I feel like 2049, what worries me is that the blackout could be something that happens, you know, with everything going electronic and then boom, everything gets wiped. And then we're back to like the Stone Age and only certain people can use electricity, for example, that kind of thing. Only certain people would have access, therefore, to something like joy um, but or age joy sorry i think it's a real shame we never saw any other joys actually with 2049 as well um i think joy would be a much easier i want to say character to talk about um if we saw another version of joy like a completely would all because all joys would not look like anadamas because that's been um customized it's either been customized to ryan uh, to officer k's desires or he sat there and gone just got the default one because that's the one we see on all the adverts. So perhaps that's the default joy. And then if you want to customize it, you can. I just wish we'd saw an, seen another joy just so we could uh, understand a bit better how that works. But anyway, I mean, this is that's probably in the four hour cut that we'll never see, unfortunately. Mm. But yeah, yeah. I, wish, uh, I, wish I, th- I wish they would do that. Like, imagine if they did like a 10 year anniversary for oh 20 point nine, and they great. gave us a four year cut. But see, uh, I you're I'm talk- dreaming now you're touching on some things that I feel like are really important. It's some things that we've talked about briefly Mm. before in episodes past. So in terms of the packaging of the films and the resonance of the films, 2019, you have this beautiful poster. Then you have 
that was made for the original, but then you had um, Drew Struzan, who is the famous Star Wars poster artist, but not just with Star Wars, with lots of films. He mm-hmm. came and did the 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 poster for the final cut, which released in 2007, and he did a beautiful job. And then they had that documentary, which was Dangerous Days, which is like three hours mm-hmm. long. It's amazing. Yeah, watch that. That film watch really that, yeah. feels complete, but then you have 2049, which is this masterpiece of a film, sloppily put together, no documentary. Yeah. The poster was shit. The 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 uh, soundtrack release was shit. And for me, mm-hmm. 2049 really won't be complete until Alcon or someone can come back to it or Criterion or someone and say, we're going to invest some money in this and we're going to re-release this on 4K the way it needs to be. The way the Blade Runner film deserves to be released with a documentary that's worthy of it. With um a poster that's designed for it that's beautiful and echoes mm. echoes the film in in a way that that awful teal and orange poster that they released that like action posed poster because you had people working wow. on it who didn't give a shit you had people working on it from a um who work in a marketing department and they're like oh okay just teal and orange action shot here we go and oh we're releasing it on 4K but Here's some like minimal behind the scenes stuff for me because 2049 got that treatment. It is not finished. It is not finished film in order for them to finish it and be able to see it completely finished. They really need to go back to it the way our friend Charles de Luzerica went back to 2019 yes. with the final cut and just polished it a little bit, did that documentary new poster new release and it's just it's awesome so i think in that regard i'm with you it's that tw- yeah 2019 has edged above it um because it's just more of a complete film but in terms of the film itself 2049 feels like more of a complete story even though we don't know what happens to Kay and Celine, it's almost like i don't even not that i don't care but i don't need to know it's their story now it's it's private now um their story is complete I don't know what's I don't know yeah. where they would have gone as a father and daughter, but it's I don't feel the need to see that story, you know. Whereas with 2019, I felt the need to find out what to know what happened to Rachel and Deckard. So mm, yeah, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. But then again, without 2049, you might have said that, oh, I don't care what happened. I mean, not that you don't care, Who knows? But, you know, in the same yeah, way. Yeah. And in the same way Deckard and his daughter, you go, Oh, well, okay. I mean whatever they do would be interesting but it's not the most important thing to me same perhaps but i don't know um i think it's just difficult for me to compare them because obviously the 35 years apart which is obviously like a fundamental you know gap um but also it's like for example i got asked recently someone just asked me because <laughs> i never shut up about blade runner so people people ask me oh james why do you love Blade Runner so much? I don't really know where to start with that answer. I've gone so far into this like rabbit hole that I just don't even know where I started, you know? And, um, but it's just such a very, it's such a beautiful thing to be part of. And, uh, I think there's just, it's just the whole universe in general. And, and obviously what it branches out to, to watching and to taking in other content that is, um, that has echoes of Blade Runner, um, and the whole dystopian thing, I feel like Blade Runner, even though it's not the first dystopian story, feels like it really established and set the bar for so many that came after it, including 2049. This is my point. It's something that I think what's important as well to remember for 2049 is that 
when you watch it for the first time, this is going back to the point you made way, way, way earlier in this episode, but it's what's really important for me is always to try and remember my first time experiencing both films. I always think that's a very important thing because otherwise you, you, you lose the, what's the expression? You lose the trees for the woods, right? Mm. So for me, it's important to go back and remember what my first reactions were and what, what were things that I know now that I didn't know in my first viewing. For example, I didn't know that, um, Okay, so, you know, 2049 leads you down the um, thought that uh, Kay could be Deckard's son and Rachel could be his his mother. So he's asking about someone who, at the in that moment, when he meets Deckard, he believes he's meeting his father and he believes he's talking about his mother when he goes, what was it? That's why he gets agitated when he goes, what was her name? He asks him twice, right? Because, and you never see... Officer K ever get that animated? He's like, like as we know, very stoic, very reserved, very like, okay, got this barrier down here, and that's not going anywhere. I'm not going to get um, unsettled. But with this very conversation, because Deckard's such a stubborn, you know, so and so, he's he's not letting he's not letting Officer K ask him about very very sensitive subjects as well. Something that he's just been sat there brooding on for decades. Um, he's not totally alone, by the way. He does have a good a dog. So, uh, as, and as you know, I know you're a dog man. I myself, mine's sleeping over there. But yeah, um, when you've got a dog, you're never that. I mean, you can still feel lonely, obviously, but um, Deckard at least has some form of company. And mm. it's also important, and I know we're not talking about the Deckard, but I think there's such an important line in that conversation when Ryan Gosling goes, you know, um, your dog, is it real? And he goes, I don't know ask him you know and it's like that is the moment that is it that is i think that's just the creators going you know what decorep we could answer it but we're not going to because that's not the most important thing mm. um but anyway yeah i just think going into 2049 you, the first time you just didn't know with blade runner the one i mean obviously there were surprises but everything is happening as you kind of it, i don't think it relies on a plot twist that doubles back on itself like 2049 does. You understand? Um, 2049 is very plot orientated in for the first time viewer in terms of it making you believe that Ryan Gosling is the chosen one, but then he's not. But that doesn't matter. So he goes and does something anyway to be the hero of his own story. Not That sounds like a really um, crass way of putting it, but there you go. So yeah, um, I don't know if that makes it better or worse than uh, again it's, we're not it's it, this has turned into a very binary <laughs> comparison which it shouldn't be because they're both superb films but yeah you know what i mean yeah um and we got to wrap uh the show um just yeah and i feel like we're just kind of getting started which always is the case but uh, to that <laughs> end um there is it there is so much going on and you ask that question, well, why do you love Blade Runner? And it's, it's not a, Oh, I like Blade Runner because of this. It's how much time do you have? You know, it's one of those, exactly. you know, it's, it's it, Blade Runner is operating on so many different levels and it's like, it's in your head. It's in your heart. It's in your body. It's, it's everything. It's, it's it a is. prophecy for the future. It's a warning for the future. Yeah, it it's, it is. It's Blade Runner. The love, the love way we love Blade Runner. It is a way of life. It's, it's, it's almost a cult. It's, it's almost, you, you don't, un, you won't understand it. And I hate that when people are like, oh, you don't understand, but with this, I feel like you don't understand it unless you love it as much as we do. 
Um, so it, it's it's going to be an it's it's an interesting and complex conversation that we're still going to talk about. But I I love thinking about these films. I love um, processing these films, and I, I I always will. It's been a while since we've. This is our first episode in about a month. We've taken some time off. Um, I'm mm. excited to to jump back into these discussions. Uh, James, thank you so much mm. for being on. I feel like we've been talking for about 45 minutes, but I feel like it's only been like 10 minutes. Um, oh, Jamie, I could chat to you until I have work at 7 a.m. in six uh, hours. <laughs> well, you get but to yeah, sleep, no, my I, friend. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for making time for us. Uh, next time we do this with you, we will plan it so we are much earlier in the day for you. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. No, I've really enjoyed coming on again, talking about all this. And you're right. I feel like we've just warmed up the engine and now we can go for a really long cruise. But unfortunately, <laughs> we got to get out again. <laughs> yeah. But thank yeah, you, James. no, um, no, pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, again, uh, we're going to be releasing uh, one episode a month, but we're going to be releasing two episodes uh, on Patreon, at least one every month or whatever. So if you're signed up for Patreon, check us out there. Um, we'll have new content coming down. We have an interview with Blade Runner producer Ivor Powell. He was there on set with Ridley Scott when the film was being produced. That's an exciting interview that we have coming up. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening. To find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please visit www.bladerunnerpodcast.com. If you'd like to support the show, please visit bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support.